You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. And it's funny, when I first read through Psalm 92, it just looked like a collection of disjointed thoughts. It starts off about praise and worship. Um, you know, it's good to give thanks to the Lord. And then it goes on about the Lord's work. And then there's about these evildoers, that God's going to sick it to them. And I, I thought, yeah, okay. And then there's this thing about flourishing like a, 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 like a cedar in Lebanon. And I thought, Lord, how on earth is this going to work into a sermon? But I read it through three or four times, and I've had my daughter Lisa home and she's very gifted um, preacher and bible teacher as well and we discussed it together and the lord showed me a lovely picture he showed me a lovely theme that runs through this psalm god's got a plan for our lives and i could actually stop there and say that's it god's got a plan for our lives it's not a five minute fix you know if you've come to church this morning with a problem in your life God's plan for your life is not just to go bang, fix that problem, and then see you in heaven. He's got a long-term plan for your life, and he wants you to take you on a journey. It starts off, obviously, with our salvation, but it takes us through this praise and worship element where we come to be intimate with our God. He wants you to know him in an intimate way. He wants you to get joy from serving him. It talks in there about being glad as we work for the Lord. He wants us to be fulfilled in our work. And those that are planted in the house of the Lord are going to flourish. And that's God's plan for your life. He wants you to flourish in your Christian life. He doesn't want you to struggle every day. He wants you to flourish in your Christian life. And as a comparison, he compares that with the wicked, with the unrighteous, people who don't know God. They're like the grass. They shoot up when it rains and the sun comes and they wither and all the materialism and all the things they've worked all their life for wither away. You know how much you take with you when you die, don't you? And people have spent their whole life working and they take nothing with them. But that's not like the righteous. We're going to be like the cedars of Lebanon. So God just gave me this lovely picture right through. So I want to have a look at how this is going to work in our lives. You know, there's, there's a truth that I've actually heard. We become like the people we worship or like the thing we worship. If you worship a sporting team, you will become competitive in your nature. You'll become anxious when they lose. You'll become joyful when they win. And you become like that sporting team. If you worship God, you become like God. You become loving, kind. The fruit of the Spirit start manifesting in your life. And so in the ver- couple of verses, verse 1 to 3... Um, it instructs us on how to worship. I'm going to have a look at that. In verse 4 to 5, it talks about working for the Lord and the joy that comes from working for the Lord. So I want to share a little bit bit down the track of what that looks like. What does it mean to work for the Lord? Verse 6 and 7 talks about the the wicked, as I said before. They're foolish. And you, you you look at people who put their energies into temporal things. Here today, gone tomorrow. And, you know, there's nobody who lies on their, on their deathbed and says, I just wish I'd earned another million dollars. If only I had more money in the bank. If only I'd been able to put another 10 hours a week into work. Nobody says that. They all want to know, if only I'd spent more time with my family. If only I'd loved my kids more. If only I'd loved my wife more. 
And God wants to bring us past that into relationship with him. And then he wants us to bring us into this, this life of flourishing with the cedars, like the cedars of Lebanon. And, then, and right down at the end it says why this is going to happen. So that we might declare that God is our rock who sustains us. And you know, at the end of our life we want to get to the stage where we say, God is my rock. I will not be moved. And that's where we want to go. And if you're not excited by that, you can go to sleep. Because <laughs> you're going to spend the next 20 minutes or so getting pretty bored. All right, let's have a good look at the psalm. At the top of the psalm, it says it's a, it's a song for the Sabbath day. Jimmy gave us an excellent um, sermon. Was it middle of the year on the Sabbath? If you missed that sermon, you really need to go back and listen to it on um, SoundCloud or wherever it is. It's probably one of the best sermons I've ever heard on the role of the Sabbath. And he made this lovely distinction between resting in the Lord and leisure time. We all think, well, if I, if I play my... Um, I love solitaire. If I play solitaire, I'm resting in the Lord. Well, I'm not. I'm, re- I'm le- having leisure time. But s- having resting in the Lord is actually spending time with him. And this psalm is designed to bring us into that time of resting in the Lord. And it's interesting, I I was just getting a little bit out of the commentaries, and they were saying that the Sabbath is not only a day of rest, but a day of work, of holy work. So what on earth, what sort of work are we supposed to do on the Sabbath day? And it tells us there, the proper work on the Sabbath day is praising God. You know, that's a pretty good work, isn't it? <laughs> if we come into Sabbath day and we, we rest on that. Um, there's one of the Jewish writers refers to this uh, psalm as a kingdom for, of the Messiah and calls it a psalm or a song for the ages to come, which shall be all Sabbath. You know, in Hebrews 4.9, it actually talks about there's a rest that we as the people of God need to enter into and live for God in that continual state of rest, which is really like a continual Sabbath. You know, God worked six days and then he rested on the seventh. He didn't rest because he was tired. He rested to enjoy the six days of work. He looked back and said, this is good. I can enjoy what is there. And as we come into a life of Sabbaths, every day should be a day of saying, God, you're good. I can rest in the fact that you are a good God, you're a faithful God, you have my best interests at heart and you're going to take me on. So let's have a look in detail at some of these verses now. Let's go to verse 1. It says there, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name most high. Now it says it's good to give thanks. My question would be, who is it good for? Is it, is it good for God? I mean, does God need our praise? You know, it, just imagine, if you stayed home from church this morning and said, well, you know, I'm not going to go to church today. I've got other things on. I'm not going to praise the Lord. Can you imagine God up in heavens going, oh, no, they've wrecked my day. I, you know, I'm, I'm shutting heaven down. I'm just, It's not going to work today. They haven't come and praised me. I'm, no, God's God. He has got millions of angels around the throne right now continually praising, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. So he's not going to be desperately upset if you don't praise him. True? So who's it good for? It's good for you. 
It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to praise his name. I had a look at the, the Hebrew word for that good, and I had a list that long, but some of the, the words it used is pleasant, pleasing, pleasurable, and precious. It is precious to praise the Lord. You know, when you come to church, and you don't even have to do it at church, but even at home, when you come and praise the Lord and you give him thanks, it's a precious time. It's, it's, some, it's some of the highlights of your life. The time you spend praising the Lord and giving thanks to God is pleasurable and is pleasant. Nobody ever comes away from spending some time with the Lord and praying and praising him and going, oh, gee, that was a waste of time. Whenever you focus on the Lord and you praise him, woof, God lifts you up and you, you're almost on cloud nine. The more you praise him, woof, the more he lifts you up. It is good for you to give thanks and to praise the Lord. I watched a show on, um, on Netflix back a little while ago called Heal. And it was not a Christian program, surprise, surprise, on Netflix. That became as a big shock. And it was a relationship between the mind and your body. How does the way you think affect your physical life, your physical health? And if you haven't seen it, it's worth a watch. It is unbelievable how much your mind and your thinking affects your physical health and your outworking. One of the things the journalists did, they, they found people throughout the world who had who had... had miraculous recoveries. People who'd been in stage four cancer in the last stages of palliative care suddenly came good and within a few weeks they're discharged from hospital with no cancer. And they were not Christians. Nobody came and prayed for them. Nobody laid hands on them. They were not Christians and yet they made miraculous recoveries. And they interviewed them and they found 1,500 people around the world like that who in all sorts of situations, had had miraculous recoveries, who should not have survived, but they did. And they interviewed every one of them. And, you know, they found uh, ten common themes. One of the things that every one of them had radically changed their diet. Surprise, surprise. But I think it was either number two or number three on the list. Every one of them had an attitude of gratitude and thankfulness. Isn't that interesting? Just changing your mind to become thankful and grateful for what you've got affects your body. It works out in your health. You know, Matt, my mate from Ainsbury, he's been through an awful lot lately, you know, with back surgery and he's been, you know, it's a great, it's a long list. Every time I ring him to see how he's going, I come away encouraged. What? He says to me, Phil, I'm just so thankful I woke up this morning. I'm thankful that I've got good people looking after me in the hospital. I thank you, I'm thankful that I've got neurosurgeons who've got my best interests heart. I'm thankful that this church is praying for me. I'm so thankful that I've got a good wife who, who loves me. I'm so th and he went on. And I go, wow, wow. Because it'd be so easy to say, oh, poor me. How bad am I, you know? And he's so thankful. And look, he's sitting there loving God. And, and I know he's not healed yet, but God's got him in, in hand. And you change your attitude to be thankful, it works out in your, um, in your life. Throughout, 70 times throughout the Bible, it says to give thanks to the Lord. 
Do you think God's trying to tell us something? 70 times, give thanks. And as I said, it's not so that God gets a buzz, it's so that you are more like Jesus and you get into there. In Psalm 100, 100 verse 4 it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. You know, every time we come into the presence of the Lord, we should come with thanksgiving. We know we, we can do nothing to in our salvation. We all know that. Salvation is a free gift. But once you're saved, it is our duty to praise the Lord. God has called us to praise him and to be thankful for him. And it works in and out in our life. And so as a Sabbath work, we need to come and praise the Lord and to live for him. You know, so what does praise do? Praise is good for God, but praise has got more to do with us than it's got to do with him. You know, did you know that you're on God's mind right now? God is thinking about you right now. Every day of the week, you're on God's mind. He's got plans for you. He's got plans to bless you. He's got plans to make you like Jesus. And you are always on God's mind. When we're working or busy at home or busy with kids, where's our thoughts? They're everywhere else except with God, aren't they? Sometimes we will. We'll set some time aside and we'll open our Bible and we'll have a pray and we think about God. But most of the day, our mind is everywhere else except with God. When we praise the Lord, do you know what it does? It refocuses our mind. It re-centres our mind on Jesus. And it centres our mind on him, and he becomes the focus. Part of the, the healing process I've been through, um, I've been introduced to the concept of mindfulness. Now, some of you are aware of this, but what it does, it, it stops your brain going on a million miles an hour about worrying about the future and about your health and all that stuff, and you're there in the moment. They start by concentrating on your breathing. Think about the breath you're taking in. And that mindfulness slows your brain down, and it's part of the healing process. When you praise and worship the Lord, it's a God mindfulness. It slows your brain down from going everywhere else and just brings you back into relationship with God. So praise and worship is about bringing you into a closer relationship with the Lord, which is obviously good for you and good for, for God. Sometimes praising God isn't easy. It's an act of our will. You know, I'll, I'll have to t tell you this. Praising and worshipping God sometimes doesn't come naturally. Do you know what comes naturally? Our busy lives. You don't have to think twice about running the kids off to basketball, about going to work, about what have I got to do tomorrow. That comes naturally. Praising God is an act of our will where we have to decide to praise God. And I tell you what, you've got an enemy of your soul called Satan who would love to distract you. How many times do you sit down and decide, well, I'm going to have a quiet time with the Lord, and you open the Bible and your phone rings? Or the kids yell. My wife never yells, so it wouldn't be that, but <laughs> there'd be something that distracts you. All right? Do you ever notice that? And I believe that that is Satan trying to get you off the path, and you have to make that, that sacrifice. It says in Hebrews 13, 15, 
Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of our lips, praising God, to confess his name. What are we to praise God for? Let's go to verse 2. I I love it in the King James Version. It says, To show forth your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. So we're to thank God for his loving kindness in the morning and his faithfulness every night. So what's loving what's God's loving kindness? It's hard to put a put if I said to you what's God's loving kindness, you'd say, Well, God loves me. But it's even more um, it's succinct than that. I want to look at a couple of scriptures of what God's loving kindness looks like. It says in Romans five ten, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? God's loving kindness rescued you while you were still an enemy of God. Not, not just, I don't care about God, or God's not a part of my life. You were heading in the opposite direction to God. There's God over there. You were heading away from him. And he rescued you. He loved you enough to rescue you, to grab you while you're still an enemy going the wrong direction and say, hey, come and I'll show you my love. And he turns you around and makes you a friend of God. He turns you from an enemy into a friend of God. You know, each one of us, by heading in the wrong direction, heading towards hell, was worthy of death because of our sins. It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, God had a big problem. On the one hand, he's there holy and righteous. And we're heading down this path here. And he says, I want to bring you back over to here. But my justice says that if you sin, there's only one punishment for sin, and that's death. You have to head for eternal damnation if you're going to walk your own path and going to sin. And he's got this huge problem between there and there. So what's he going to do about it? John 3.16 says, For God loved the world. He loved you in this way. He gave his his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God's love for you is so great that he actually took his son and allowed him to be killed and paid the punishment so that you heading this way can turn around and God can bring you back into his kingdom and look at you completely righteous, completely holy, completely saved because of the death of Jesus. Now, if you haven't availed yourself of that and you're still walking that way, the gift is on offer. God has got that gift for you this morning and you need to just do one thing. It says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. So it's a matter of confessing and believing, and God can take you from there to there. That's God's loving kindness. It's practical. It's not an airy-fairy, oh, God loves me. His loving kindness is a practical demonstration of how he saved you from your life of sin and brought you into a relationship with him. We have a lot to thank our God for. Well, it says there that we are to thank him for his faithfulness every night. You know, it'd be lovely if God just saved us, put us into his kingdom and then said, well, okay, I'll see you later. I hope you make it. I'll catch you later when you die. 
<laughs> no. God is faithful. He doesn't save us and then leave us to our own devices to struggle through life. And in fact, if you try and live a holy life on your own, you're doomed to fail. You're doomed to fail. But God is faithful. It says there that in, in Hebrews 13.5, um, he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. And the King James says, I will never leave you yeah, or forsake you. That's the word, never forsake you. He's there. One of the things that surprises me, you know, I've been a, I'm 66 and I've, I've been a Christian for most of my life, but I made a real debted, dedicated commitment of my life when I was 13. So do your sums and work out how long I've been. My brain's, anyhow, it's a long time. But you know what? One of the things that still amazes me is that after 50-something years of living for Jesus and being committed to him and reading my Bible every day and praying and seeking the Lord and doing all those good things, how easy the old Phil Pike rears its ugly head and wants his own way. You know, it wouldn't be the first time that I'll come to church and I hear a great sermon from Pastor Jonathan or Jimmy, and you're just uplifted and, and you know, lifted onto another plane, and you sing the songs and you worship the Lord, and then you get in the car and drive home, and I'm not even at the traffic lights, and I've already said something horrible to my wife about not cutting in properly or going cutting too quickly or not quickly enough, or Petra does most of the driving nowadays. And... You know, I'm not even, I'm, I'm still in sight distance of the church and already I've sinned. Or somebody comes too fast and cuts, me, cuts us off and I'm angry with them. What's going on there? You know, surely, surely when you lift it up from coming to church, at least you're going to be holy for at least five minutes. Give me a break. I've got seven days of the week left to go and I haven't even made it for five minutes. What's going on? But you know what? God is faithful. He says that he understands your weaknesses. He knows that we are flesh and he's made provision for that. In 1 John 8 and 9 it says, if, if we say we have no sin, we're just deceiving ourselves. And this is talking to Christians, boys and girls and ladies and gentlemen. This is you. If you say that you have made it and you're not, and without sin, you are deceiving yourself. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is so faithful. How many times will he do that for us? Well, once at the corner there, <laughs> once at the corner down the next corner, probably twice before I get home, <laughs> and then the rest of the day. You know, I love that little, um, little saying, Lord, I've really been good today so far. I haven't yelled at my wife. I haven't yelled at the kids. I haven't thought any bad thoughts. I haven't stolen. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't committed murder. I'm going so well. But now I've got to get out of bed, Lord, and get up. God is faithful. God is faithful in every area of your life. I'll just very quickly, because I've got a lot of sermon to get through. Petra's little polo, VW polo, 
got all these funny error messages on the, on the dashboard and it sort of basically died. And we looked up the error message and it says the diesel particulate filter is blocked. Took it into VW. Yep, so diesel particulate filter is blocked. That'll be $220 to fix it, please. No, to tell you that the diesel particulate filter is blocked. And I already took them in and told them that the diesel particulate filter is blocked. All right. Anyway. How much to get fixed? Um, $4,800. $4,000 for the filter and $800 to fit it. I said, what? The car's 10 years old. It's probably worth $5,000 if most. And they wanted $4,800. So anyhow, I said, no, I'll take it home. So anyhow, I made some, made some phone calls and I prayed to the Lord about it. And you know what? God just gave me a piece that he was going to work it out. And I didn't know how. And I made some phone calls around and it was a bit of hassle. Matt will know about this. He took me down to Melbourne. And I had to take it into a place and got it fixed. But the whole thing replaced and fitted cost $700. Now, I just, I just knew in my heart that God was going to look after it. I didn't know how. I didn't know why, when, how or what. But he just looked after it. Instead of $4,800, $700. That's just God's faithfulness in so many areas of our life. Let's go back to Psalm 92. In that, in that first verse there, it talks about a progression of praise. We're told to give thanks, to sing praise, to declare his faithfulness and to play instruments. You'll see this progression coming through there. We declare his goodness and it says to sing. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you know, whenever we come to church, we always sing songs, don't we? Have you ever thought about why do we sing? You know, surely we can just read some good scriptures. Why do we sing? You know, God only asks us to do things that are good for us. Let's, let's face it. God doesn't get a lot of thrill out of us singing. I don't care if you've got the best voice in the church here. He's got a million angels, and I can guarantee not one of them sing out of tune. True. So when you and I lift our voice and we sing to God, he's not going to say, oh, at last I can hear perfect harmony and da-da-da-da. No, he wants us to sing for our benefit. I've got some things here of why singing is good for us. And I'll just go through them very quickly because there's quite a few there. They did a, um, a test on this group of singers who were rehearsing um, Mozart's Requiem and they took their blood before and after and they found that after an hour of singing the antibodies in their blood the immunoglobin can't even say it had increased and that's the thing that fights infection so just the act of singing increases your ability to fight off disease and stuff that's just number one it improves your posture you notice or it's a workout you have to breathe when you're singing, and that gets the oxygen in your body, so it's good for your body to sing. It improves your posture. We generally stand when we sing, and you can't sing like that. It just, just doesn't work. You've got to stand up so you get oxygen in your lungs, and that helps your posture, so that's, that's good for you. It even helps your sleep. It says in this article that it actually strengthens your throat and palate muscles, which help you stop snoring and sleep apnea. And all the women said, Amen. Some of the husbands need to sing more, I think. True? 
my wife never snores, so it doesn't affect her, but I do. So sing more. It'll help you with your sleep. Singing is an is a natural antidepressant. It's, they did the research and they found that just singing, it releases endorphins. Now, endorphins are the chemicals that make you happy and lift you up. They also found, this is amazing, that there's a tiny organ in your ear called the saculus, which responds to the frequencies created by singing. This, the response creates an immediate sense of pleasure regardless of what the singing sounds like. Hallelujah! It doesn't matter if you sing out a tune, your inner ear starts to vibrate with the singing and it releases pleasure and good things in your brain. doesn't matter how bad you are at singing, which is wonderful. And if nothing else, it just takes your mind off the problems of the day. It lowers your stress levels. There's a thing in your a stress hormone called cortisone and they've found that singing reduces the amount of cortisone in your blood which is a stress hormone. And you think about it. If you're singing praises to God, can you really be stressed while you're singing praises to God? It just it puts you on a different plane. It's known to improve your mental alertness. I mean, I'm sure we've all seen documentaries about people with dementia and Alzheimer's. They can't remember their own name. They don't know their own kids. But you ask them to sing a song from the 40s and they can sing it word perfect, can't they? There's something about singing that works with your brain. You actually become more mentally alert just by singing. Some of the social benefits of um, singing, I won't go through in detail of these, but it certainly widens your circle of friends. If you're going to join a choir, you'll make new friends through that choir. It boosts your confidence. If you're going to sing in front of people, you'll get more confident and you'll feel better about yourself. And I'll, that's pretty obvious. I'm going to read this little one. This is brilliant. We've, I'm just so blessed... You look around the church at how many babies and kids we've got around here. We are so blessed. We're so blessed. Uh, um, my daughter, went when they first moved to um, Raymond Island, they were looking for a church around Painesville. And they went into a couple of this Anglican church and a Prezi church and a couple of others. And they went in there and the average age was about 75. And the people absolutely fell on them and just about locked the doors because they had little kids. Only, they were the only little kids they'd seen in the church for 20 years. And yet you look around here and this church is full of young people. I'm going to read this to you. According to an article in The Guardian, singing to babies, Sarah will obviously do this, singing to babies helps prepare their brain for language. Music is just as important as teaching, reading and writing at a young age to prevent language problems later in life. If you enjoy writing your own lyrics, um, honing this talent can improve your ability to communicate in different ways. So sing to babies. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the middle of the night. Mm, well, okay. It increases your ability to appreciate other singers. Well, it definitely does that. And it does a few things. And I'll tell you what. Look, when you sing in church, I know you're singing to God and you're worshipping, but do you know that you actually are encouraging other people? I hope Elizabeth doesn't mind me saying this. Give, Elizabeth, give people a wave. Just so you know who Elizabeth... A uh, big wave, come on, give us a wave. Elizabeth's got a lovely voice. She was sitting in front of me one day, singing. And the way my health is, sometimes in the mornings I just fall off the cliff. I just go down for whatever reason. And I can hardly breathe. I get very lightheaded. 
and I can't even stand up, let alone sing. And Elizabeth, actually, I think she was behind me, and she was singing and worshipping the Lord with all her might. It did something in me. Her singing was almost like me singing. It was just in part of the presence of God into my heart. I couldn't sing myself and she sang almost through me and I just got a blessing from it. And you don't know who you are blessing and encouraging just by you opening your mouth. There could be someone near you who would love to sing and they're just flat, they feel flat and they can't praise the Lord. They're just in the doldrums, they're just struggling whatever area of their life. And just hearing you sing can encourage them and you don't have to sing in tune to do that. Just you having a go can have a big impact on other people. Thank you, Elizabeth. I'm sorry if I embarrassed you. It then goes on to talk about musical instruments. We're to praise God and worship him on musical instruments and I'm, I'm not going to go through these in a lot of detail but it's, I looked up one of the websites the benefits of playing a musical instrument. It says that playing a musical instrument makes you smarter. Something about learning music. It actually helps your brain, especially people who are mathematically inclined are quite often good musicians. There's a relationship. So if you want your kids to be smarter, get them to learn an instrument. It improves your social life. It, it reduces stress in your life. It gives you a sense of achievement. It builds your confidence. Um, Practising a musical instrument improves patience. It helps improve your memory and increases discipline and time management skills. Excuse me. So God wants us to praise him and worship him on musical instruments as well. So I want to spend just a few minutes, and I seriously have only got a few minutes. Have a look at how we can work through these. It says to start declaring and giving thanks to God, singing and musical instruments. It's very important when we praise God to open our mouths. Have you ever tried to tell your wife or your spouse, tell your spouse, how much you love them and how much you mean to them and keep your mouth shut? What's up with you? What's wrong with you? You know, we can think about God in our heart and I know God knows our heart. He sees our hearts. And I'm not, I know God appreciates when we think about him. But when you open your mouth and you declare his goodness and you thank him and praise him, it brings you out of yourself and brings the praise and worship onto a higher level. Some 11 times in the Psalms, it actually instructs us to shout to the Lord. It says, shout, clap your hands, all your peoples, shout to God with a voice of triumph. Have you ever tried shouting to God? Now, I wouldn't recommend you try it at home with everybody else around, but in the car, it's a wonderful time. If you're driving alone in a car... Try it. Just try it. Especially if you're going through a hard time. Um, Jeremy, you might just be aware. I'm going to get a shout in a second. Can you imagine driving there? Lord, I bless you. I thank you that you're going to sort this out. Lord, I'm in a bit of a bind right now. But Lord, I thank you and I praise you. I tell you what, the energy that you release in shouting to the Lord, I don't know what it does, but it does something good for you. 
Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. It actually brings victory in your life. Try it. And even when if you're not shouting to the Lord, just verbalise your praise to him. Verbalise it. Don't sit there in a quiet time. You might be thinking about the Lord, but verbalise it. God says with the fruit of your lips, Lord, I just want to thank you. I love you, Lord. Lord, you're so good to me. I thank you for saving me. I thank you for rescuing me. Lord, you're so gracious and, and precious to me. Lord, there's no one else like you. Lord, I just come today and I worship you and I praise you. Lord, I want to tell you that I love you this morning, Lord. How good you are, my God. And just verbalise it. Give God the praise, the fruit of your lips. And then we're told to sing his praises. And you're going to say to me, well, I don't have much of a voice. Pastor Jono, um, he admits he loves to sing to the Lord, but he says, I'm pretty well tone deaf. He knows he can't sing in tune, but he loves to sing to the Lord. The, the good news is that there's nothing in the Bible that says, sing to the Lord, but only if you're in tune. There's nowhere it says anything like that. And in fact, in Psalm 66, 1, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, that's a church who are all out of tune, <laughs> making a joyful noise to the Lord. But you know what? God loves that just as much as a choir singing the Hallelujah Chorus. It's what's in your heart. It's singing in there that, that blesses the Lord. So there's no excuse if you can't sing. Everybody can sing. So what about, I mean, we can sing at church, but what about at home? How do I do that? I gave you all that list of what the benefits of singing before, and it's different to just proclaiming God's goodness. There's something about singing God's goodness. Now, just sing a song that you know. You know, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You all have a song that you know. Open the eyes of our heart, we sang before. There's songs that you know you can just sing along. You can sing along songs on Spotify or on the radio, Christian songs. If you know them, sing along with them. There is something about singing that lifts the level of praise. John, last week, preached on Psalm 96, and it starts off in Psalm 96. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord of all the earth. Now, singing a new song isn't just coming up with a new song that we haven't sung before and because God gets bored with us singing Open the Eyes of Our Heart all the time. You know, he's heard that 50 times and I wish I'd learn a new song. No. Singing a new song is singing something out of your heart that's new and fresh. Just like I walked around the stage a minute ago praising God, try that with a tune, just with a, a song. Lord, I just come and praise you. I give you thanks for who you are, Lord. And it doesn't have to be terribly tuneful. It just has to be, Lord, I'm just worshipping you. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. And just start to praise him in a, a single note. But there's something about actually singing it as opposed to saying it that God loves and does something good for you. And see, singing a new song is just simply praising God in song, something that you haven't sung before. 
It's not a learnt song. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with singing a learnt song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. We sung that when I was a kid. I sing it now, 50, 60 years later, and it's still as lovely and as fresh today as it was then. It's, there's nothing wrong with that song. But singing out of your heart, just what God gives you in your heart, and the Holy Spirit gives you to praise him, there's something fresh about that. There's something God absolutely loves about that. And if you're self-conscious, do it in the car. The car is a wonderful place to worship the Lord. And I don't care if somebody's at the traffic lights next to you looking and going, as you're there, take your hands off. No, only at the stoplights. Lord, I bless your name. Praise you and worship you, Lord. So singing in that. When they did the series on the gifts of the Spirit they, in Corinthians 14, it says, What then? I will pray with my understanding and I'll pray in the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding and I'll sing with the Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit just sings through you worship songs to God. It's different every time. And start, just practice it. Just do it and it will come easier and easier to you. Which brings us to musical instruments. And you're going to say, well, I don't play a musical instrument. What's, what's the go there? Put, some, put a musical or put an instrumental track on from Spotify or from a CD and just start to worship the Lord as the music plays in the background, as somebody else is playing the instruments. And you'll find that that just lifts it. I said before when I was just trying to sing on my own, it's hard to sing on your own without some sort of music there. But if you've got some musical backing, it's so much easier. If you do play an instrument, use it to worship the Lord. God has given you that gift to worship him with it. And you don't have to do it at the front of church here. We'd love you to have you to do that. But even in your home, just worship the Lord with that instrument. I love the story of David when he was you know, having that hassle with Saul. And you remember Saul, when he turned away from God, that he, he got an evil spirit in his heart? And he would get David in when he was having this horrible time and David would come into the throne room and it says he would play the harp and the, whole, and the evil spirit would leave Saul. Isn't that amazing? You can actually do spiritual warfare just by playing a musical instrument. The evil departs. You know, just play some known songs that you, you know. Learn the chords off your playing guitar. Learn the chords so you don't have to look at the music and just start to worship the Lord with your eyes closed and you'll be amazed at how that goes. Let's get back to Psalm 92. Verse 4. For you, Lord, have made me rejoice or be glad in the King James, it says, with your work I will triumph in the work of your hands. You know, God's work is designed not to be onerous and not to be, oh, here we go again, I've got to do God's work again. God's work is designed as part of this whole process to bring pleasure and joy in your life. It's not about pleasing God, it's about you being satisfied and fulfilled in your life with God. The Hebrew word for glad there, it says, is to cheer you up. God's work is to cheer you up. You know, Jesus, when he, he got lost in Jerusalem when he was 12 years old and his parents came back and found him in the temple, you know what he said to them? Don't you know that I need to be about my father's business? I need to be about my father's work? And his father's work was him in the temple discussing the scriptures and, and learning more about his father. 
so I was thinking about, well, what is the Lord's work? If I'm going to be about the Lord's work, what is it? And I, I just came up with a couple of ideas. I believe it's living for the Lord every day, putting him first and deciding to live for him. Serving the Lord by blessing others. Being a Christian is not about you. It's about God flowing through you to bless others. How can you encourage somebody else today? Just think about it. You know, we're going out for coffee shortly. Wouldn't it be great if everyone in the church here just went to somebody else and said something encouraging to them? Hey, it's great to see you at church today. I'm so glad you came. Did you get blessed by being there? It's, you know, I'm blessed by seeing you there. Just bless them. How has your week been? Can I pray for you? What can I pray for you? What can I pray about to bless you in your life? If we all did that, what a difference church would be. And serving the Lord in the church, there are many, many facets we can serve the Lord in our church here. Everything from shaking the hand of people come through the door to taking up the offerings to making cups of tea. There are just so many areas we can serve the Lord. It, it just goes on. Verse 5 says, How magnificent are your works, Lord. How profound are your thoughts. I looked up the word for thoughts and it talks about being plans, God's plans. You know, God has a plan for your life. He really does. You are not here by accident this morning. You didn't walk into this place, just stumble in here because there was nothing else on. God led you here. It's part of the plan for your life. And he has got a wonderful plan for your life. Now, you may not feel like that right at the moment. You might be in the middle of some hard time and you're struggling to see God's plan for your life. But believe you me, he has a great plan for your life. Verse 6 and 7 has a contrast. A stupid person does not know. A fool does not understand this. Though the wicked sprout like grass and all evil, evildoers flourish, they will be eternally destroyed. What I, what I said before about people who are away from God, they burn their lives out working for money, for things that pass away. You know, we've just been through Christmas. And, you know, Christmas has a, got, has a lot to do for kids, isn't it? But, you know, I watch some of our grandkids getting presents. And, of course, you don't, nowadays, they don't get one present, do they? That would be child abuse. You know, you'd almost have child services on your doorstep. You only gave them one present. And we've got little grandkids and stuff, and, you know, they, three, four, five, six-year-old, wow, wow. And they tear the paper off, they wrap it, and their face like, wow, what's next? Oh, wow, what's next? Before they've even opened the box, they've taken the paper off, and they're bored with the toy. It hasn't given them any satisfaction. I think the satisfaction for the parents of actually buying the stuff for them in the first place. But you know very well, material things can never satisfy. Never. You know, you watch TV, you watch the ads, and they have got... They spin you a lie all the time. Every ad says, if only you buy this, your life will be fulfilled. You know, you, you'll, 
you'll have it all together if you only own this sort of, own this sort of car. You know, guys, women will be all over you if you wear this sort of perfume or underarm or whatever. They spin you a lie. Nothing material will satisfy. You might get a short-term, you know, a pleasurable thing for a few seconds, but 12 months later, do you even remember the gift you received? I can't even remember what I got for Christmas. Actually, I do know. I got a chook pen. Yay! That's for me to live in. The chooks live outside. No, I know. And it says that's the foolish person, the wicked person, doesn't understand that life is about the long term. God's interested in your long term pleasure, your long term survival, your long term satisfaction. The wicked will work hard for stuff that here today and gone tomorrow. They're like the grass that shoots up after the rain. You know what it's like in spring? And as soon as the sun comes out, it withers. I want to compare that as we finish by looking at the life of the righteous. It says in verse 12, The righteous, they thrive like a palm tree. And they grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. I, had a, I did a quick little Google thing on cedars in Lebanon. And you know, they're evergreen. What a wonderful picture of a Christian. They're evergreen. Your leaves don't fall off. You don't have dormant seasons where God's forgotten you and put you in the parking lot and I'll see you next year. No, you're evergreen. God is doing something in your life every day. And even if you don't feel it, God is doing something in your life today. He's doing something for your eternal glory today. The cedars of Lebanon, they grow tall. Some of them are over 40 metres tall. Not that God wants to make you a big hero and, you know, look at me, I'm a wonderful Christian, but he wants you to stand tall in this church that people can see God through you. He wants you to stand strong and tall, that you're not down all the time, that you are strong and tall in the Lord. Some of the cedars grow over 2,000 years of age. You know, there's cedars in Lebanon that were there when Jesus was walking on the earth. And that speaks to me of God's long-term plan for your life. He's not going to let you live 2,000 years, and thank God for that. But your spiritual heritage, see, as you serve the Lord and you're faithful to the Lord, that will go into your children. It'll go into your grandchildren. And you can start a spiritual heritage. You know, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. He may come back today, but he may not come back for 500 years. Wouldn't it be wonderful in a hundred years' time to have a dynasty of Christians serving the Lord, which are your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, winning people to Jesus and building strong churches just because of your faithfulness today? That's how you're going to be a seed of Lebanon. Verse 13 says that they are planted in the house of the Lord and they thrive in the courts of their God. They will still bear fruit in old age, healthy and green, to declare that the Lord is just. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Where are we to thrive? It says we are to thrive in the courts of the Lord. When do we thrive? It tells us there in verse 13, we thrive when we're planted in the house of the Lord. So what does it mean to be planted in the house of the Lord? Now, can can I just get a show of hands here? Hands up anybody here 
who, for you, this is your first church. You were saved here, somebody brought you to church, you got saved here, and this is the only church you've ever known. Hands up if this is you. Only church ever you've ever been at. None. None. Alright? Every one of us have come from another church, true? Now what brought you here? It may be that you've moved into the area, you may be lived on the other side of Melbourne, and now this is, your, this is your local church, that's great. It may be that you're another church, and the other church went pear-shaped. Hands up, be honest, hands up if you're a little bit hurt when you left your other church. Hands up if you've ever been hurt in a church. Come on, you're lying. You're, you're lying. You can't be in a church without getting hurt at some stage. Thank you, Catherine. You know, it, it's crazy. People in the world can say horrible things to you. They can call you a Bible basher. They can call you a God freak. They can call you all things. But they don't really hurt you, do they? Only other Christians can really hurt you. And some people, and a lot of people have come here from churches where things have gone belly up and you've been hurt. And because of that hurt, you're sitting in this church here this morning thinking, well, I'm here, but... And in the back of your mind, you've got a plan B. If this doesn't work out, if this church is just another one of those ones where I'm going to get hurt, I've got a plan B. Plan B, I'll, go and I'll find another church. There are plenty of churches out there. Now, if that's you, you are not planted in the house of the Lord. You, you haven't got roots down. You're superficial. And do you know what? It says that you will flourish in the house of the Lord when you are planted in the house of the Lord. If you want to get any, any satisfaction out of serving the Lord, if you want to get any pleasure, if you want to flourish in your Christian life, I'm sorry, there's no plan B. God wants you to put your roots down. He wants you to be planted in the house of the Lord. Does that mean you're never going to get hurt? Sorry. Does that mean you're never going to be used and abused? Does it mean it's always going to work out perfectly for you? But God wants you to put your roots down. He wants you to be planted in the house of the Lord. You know, and I'm not talking to people. I know we've got people here and they're just visiting today. That's fine. I'd love to have you here. But if you've been here more than a couple of months, then God wants you to put your, plant, your roots down here. He, he's brought you here. Nobody is in this church just because it's an accident. I don't see anybody who just was walking past. Oh, yeah, there's something to do on a Sunday morning. I'm bored. I'll just come in here. No, God's brought you here. God's brought you here. And he wants you to put your roots down in this place so that you can flourish. And I'm, I'm going to ask you, how's your Christian life? Are you struggling? Are you just getting from day to day, or are you flourishing? And God tells us there how to flourish. It's by putting your roots down in the house of the Lord. And we need to do that. We need to take ownership of our church. You know, you belong to a body here. This is a body of Christ. You belong to that body. You know, there's a whole section in Corinthians about the eye can't say to the arm, well, you're not part of my body because I can't see through that thing there. 
And what, what would the body be like without the hearing and the eyes and the arms? We need each other, and we are so different. Everyone here is so different, but we need each other. I need you. It's crazy, you know, when... If somebody's on holidays and they're away from church for a couple of weeks, I miss you. There's something lacking in the church if you're not here. You're part of my body, and when my body's not here, if that arm is broken off, you know, try and do your shoelaces up with one arm. We need each other. We need to belong in the house of the Lord. You need to be part of small group Bible studies. You know, that's the real church. Church like this is a celebration of God's goodness through the week, but the real church happens in small groups. If you're going to be planted in the house of the Lord, you need to commit yourself to being part of a group. And I'm not talking about for selfish reasons. This is not so that you will become a strong Christian and... and great day. No, this is about you blessing other people. God wants you and your contribution in a small group to bless somebody else. You need to pray for other people in the group and be part of that group so that you are part of that body. And you, you can't be part of the body without giving. You know, we, 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 every Sunday morning we take up an offering and a lot of people just give online. You can't say, well, I've put my roots down in this church, I'm planted in the house of the Lord, but that wallet in the back is mine and God's given it to me and I'm going to look after it. Everything you have is the Lord's. And you, you can't... You can't do without giving sacrificially. But I'll tell you what, God's very faithful. Give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaking together and running over. You need to get involved in the church wherever you can. And as I mentioned before, there's a thousand little jobs that need to be done around the church. You can do that. You need to get to church on time. You know, most Sunday mornings, whoever's our leader, um, Jeremy or, um, you know, there's the whole stack. They stand up here at 10 o'clock and they, God gives them a psalm to bless you with. They lead the service and there's 20 people sitting there. And people who arrive at 10 past, 20 past, they miss the first 20 minutes of the service. And I'll just ask you, if you had an appointment with the Queen, would you rock up 10 minutes late for that appointment? How rude. And you've got an appointment with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And church starts at 10 o'clock. Wouldn't it be wonderful if at 5 to 10, this place was buzzing with people excited about worshipping the Lord. Hey guys, get started. I want to get into this. Wouldn't that be wonderful? How encouraging that would that be for the minister and for the leaders if people were here for that? Be part of the prayer life of the church and I will finish here because I've gone way over time. I'm very excited about verse 14. It says that we're going to bear fruit in our old age. Healthy and green. Healthy and green. Isn't that wonderful? And I look at John and Suzanne in this church. You know, if, if this church, if everybody in this church was like John and Suzanne, this church would be so wonderful. It is already wonderful now, but they give and they give and they give and they give and they give. You know, Suzanne runs the mainly music program on Wednesday morning. She's part of the ladies' Bible study group. She's the prayer leader in the church. She just gives and gives and gives. John 71. Petra put a thing on, the, on Facebook yesterday, during the week that they needed an area clean so that people can get into church through that side gate. Do you know how many people came? John and Petra. Two people came. But John 71 and Petra's... 
50. <laughs> they were flourishing in their old... You know, look at John... I'm sorry for guys for building you up too much, but look at John and Suzanne. They're not young, and yet they burn out for Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? God doesn't ask us to do this on our own. Verse 10 says... You have lifted up my horn like a wild ox. So I've been anointed with the finest oil. The horn there talks about your strength. The Lord will give you the strength you need to do what you need to do. Most Sunday mornings, I go down in church and, I'm, as I said, I was struggling to sing. God has given me the strength to preach this this morning. I feel wonderful. It's only God that's done that. Jimmy prayed for me before and, and Matt prayed for me. And God has given me the strength to do that. He will give you the strength that you need to do whatever you need to do for the Lord. It says that, that he's given you the oil. Now, the Holy Spirit is that oil. The anointing of the oil is a symbol of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus said in Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Da, 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 da. That anointing is the empowering that you need to do the work. So don't go away thinking, Oh, Phil's telling me I've got to do all this stuff for the Lord and I haven't got time and I can't do it and da, 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 da. No. God will give you the anointing that you need to do what you put your hand up to do. He really will. He does not ask you to do it on your own, and he will empower you. And I'm going to finish on this. It says here in verse 15, Why do we do all this? Why does God call us to, to live for him? It says, To declare that the Lord is just. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. As we give ourselves to the Lord, as we begin to praise and worship him and sacrificially give and put our roots down in this church and live for him and be part of this church, it will show everybody that the Lord is a rock. If God can't sustain you, who wants to become a Christian? God will sustain you and you will be a wonderful testimony for him. Let me close in prayer. Lord God, I just thank you for your word, Lord. And this simple little psalm, Psalm 92, has got so much in it, Lord. We could take this one psalm and almost live our whole lives out of it, Lord. And I just pray that you would help each of us, Lord, to take this on board. Lord, I pray that you would grow us. Would you expand us in our praise and worship, Lord? We're people of habit. We're people, creatures of habit, Lord. And we tend to do the, sing the same things and do the same thing all the time, Lord. Would you expand us, Lord? Would you stretch us, God? Stretch our hearts to worship you more, to sing more to you, Lord, to praise you and to worship you, Lord. And then to work for you, Lord, to put our roots down here so that we might be wonderful testimonies to the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. Lord, that people might look at us and say, there goes a man, there goes a woman who've got their roots deep down in Jesus and are drawing up Lord, that, that sustaining well, Lord, the waters of living, of life, Lord, that are flowing through their lives, Lord. Make us a blessing to other people, I pray, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' lovely name. Amen.